X100V. Most popular camera of 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023. That's right. Exactly. The camera of the year for all of those years, <laughs> except for 2022, which was the X-H2S. <laughs> They're releasing a new one. I saw that. They're only going to make 100 of them because they felt like the supply and demand wasn't quite correct. That the equation wasn't balanced. And so they're going to cover it with Disney logos and sell 100 of them in Hong Kong only <laughs> as a special edition X100V. If a Fuji camera could be more hipster, this would be one way to do it. Are people in Hong Kong like really into Disney? Honestly, that would not surprise me. <laughs> like, like yeah, I maybe wouldn't have guessed it, but it also, I'm like, okay, yeah, I bet there's a lot of uh, Disney fans there. And they don't need a lot. They just need a hundred. I mean, I want one. <laughs> Mostly yeah, because do. it would be like infinitely valuable. No kidding. You could you could buy it at whatever price they sold it for, and then it would be worth more. Yeah. Even if it, even, only because it's an X100V. You could like take all the Disney stuff off and then still sell it for more than probably what they're going to sell it for, what's which the, is what's the design? It's like um, it's kind of white. It looks like it looks like hand drawn cartoon type stuff. Yeah, yeah. It looks it looks like if you imagine an X one hundred V with the the silver top and the silver lens, and then it has the black wrap around for the grip material. The grip material instead of being black is looks like newspaper. Yeah, and it's covered with a lot of. Uh, like old Disney artwork, like Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse, but it's like the black and white cartoon strip stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm not that into Disney, but I think that looks pretty cool. I Yeah, it, it does look cool. It looks really neat. I like it. It almost looks as neat as how you can get that Nikon FC in all the different colors. Yeah, it's not quite that cool, but it's 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 in the ballpark. Have you seen those like... Didn't, I know it's not D brand, but like the similar like D brand skins that you can get for your camera. I have seen and how those. people like camo out their their A seven three or whatever. Mm-hmm. I do think that looks cool. If they made them for the X H two S, I would consider it. I think they're kind of neat. I would also strongly consider. It. Do they not make them for the Fuji? I thought I, like I found some the other day. I didn't think they did. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I'm gonna have to look into that. I yeah. feel like I don't know. The camera pressure will probably be black, right? You don't want to your the camera itself to reflect anything. And so it should be white or black. Yep. But probably white. <laughs> if you can go all white, go all white. Otherwise, go black. Reminds me of how I'd thought about painting my uh, cage white. So it would look cool. It would definitely look cool. Yeah. I interrupted you, but how much was the price on the uh, Disney Edition X100V? The company expects to donate something, something, something about money. I think it's only like $1,900. No, but no, now that, that I'm rereading this thing, it's uh, I'm confused. Well, what's confusing? And part of the proceeds from the sales of the special edition camera will go to the Hong Kong Community Chest to serve its children and youth. The company expects to donate two hundred thousand Hong Kong bucks, or about twenty five thousand six hundred dollars. That's not what those are called. Okay, so that's that's Fuji's going to donate money. Yeah, that makes sense. They're, then, they're, they're, they're doing this special camera release. It's like partially for charity. Yeah. I got to scroll through all these sweet pics again. Okay, here it is. Yeah, it's it's 15,000 HK. I don't, I don't know what the currency is. Mm-hmm. Yen or something. Hong Kong yens, which is $1,920. Okay, so it's like current market rate for an X100V. 
It's well over the MSRP, but that's about what they're selling for. That's what I'm saying. Like the MSRP is what twelve hundred, so they're spending like two thousand dollars. I saw that and I was like, you can get an X100V for two thousand dollars, and it's a special edition. <laughs> that's so cheap. Yeah, you said to go to Hong Kong. You got to add in the cost of a Hong Kong plane ticket. I just need to get one of these things. Yep. It's pretty cool looking. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're already sold out. There's only a hundred of them. Mm, so. yeah. yeah, they're probably sold out. Anyway. Pretty cool. This is kind of related to one of our other topics. Ooh. Looking forward to that. Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll get into that later. Okay, one more thing. One more thing before we get started. Okay. I was shopping around for nanomorphs. As you do. Yeah. And whenever I was like going through the, the configuration process, I didn't realize that you could just buy the other mounts. Oh, interesting. Like, so which what, what choices do you have? Well, there? like, you know how, well, it comes on everything, right? You can get it for like Z, E, uh, not EF, XF, you know, whatever. You get it for like all the different mounts. Okay. And I, like, I don't think you can get it for R mount. Probably not. Anyways, but you can buy the bayonets. So if you know that you're going to shoot on like Sony and Fuji or something, you can just get the bayonet for the back of it oh. to remove and replace. Well, that's pretty appealing, mm-hmm. especially specifically for you because you may sometimes shoot on Sony and Fuji. Sure, yeah. You know, or if you buy the the Trinity of lenses, you're not stuck. You can just yeah. swap out the bayonets later. Yeah, as long as you're going APS-C or right. whatever. As long, yeah, as long as you're on mirrorless and you're planning on shooting APS-C. But mm-hmm. even if you shoot full frame on like Sony, you can shoot in a crop mode. Sure, so. yeah. That's cool. That, yeah, I, I think that, that was neat. How much do those cost, do you know? Right, so the bayonets themselves are maybe like $50 each. Oh, that's cheap. Yeah, they're okay. not expensive. I mean, the lenses aren't that expensive either. They're like four or $500 yeah. or uh, $1,000 for all three. No, got that totally wrong. It's $1,000 per, and then it's 2800 for yeah, all three. Yeah, so $50 for a different mount feels like a steal. It does. And that, that increases the value of those quite a bit, because that's definitely the type of thing I would worry about. Like, I'm going to buy these lenses, and then... You know, what if I switch cameras? I've got $3,000 worth of lenses to sell. So Yeah, it's the kind of thing where it's, whenever you get into like the cinema world, it feels like they want everything to work with everything else. And so everything's standardized around, you know, V-mount batteries and, or like, I guess sometimes MPF, stuff like that. And like different, you know, swappable mounts and all this sort of thing. So yeah. Very cool. It looks like it's, it's ER, Micro Four Thirds, DLZXL, and that's it. That's I, for, a, that's I, for, I forgot about L mount, which is obviously the best mount. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like out of out of the ones I was interested to hear if you said L was one of them because like what is our situation? We currently shoot Fuji. We both feel like if we were to switch, we would switch to Lumix. That's true. So, that's, that is how I feel. You know, it's interesting. Though recently I've been thinking a lot about how I probably need a uh, ZV-E1 in my life. <laughs> interesting. But then I couldn't find a Sony Pancake full frame lens and so mm. I give up. Anyways, that's not that's, that's a totally uh, <laughs> totally different topic. Totally for, different topic. For later in this episode, maybe yeah. who knows? Anything could happen. It's actually why I brought my computer today, Daniel. <laughs> oh man, getting getting serious now, huh? Just kidding. Maybe. Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel, and I'm Lucas, and we're here today to talk about the gear, software, and techniques we use to shoot photos and video. Before we actually get started, I'm holding. Your Insta360 Go 3. Yep. Fresh out of the packaging. Mm-hmm. And this is... I just, wanna, I just want some first impressions here. All I right. know that like I've already held it one time. Yep. Uh, I know that you're not an Android user, but the back of this feels exactly like a Pixel 2. 
That's a that's a very specific statement. It's it's that like powder coated mm. metal feeling. Mm. Very satisfying. I like it. The whole the whole thing is very cute. Like I know that you would look at the pictures and you would think that looks cute, and it's true. Whenever you hold it in your hand, it looks cute. It's very stormtroopery. It is. I want one of these things so bad. Yeah, it looks awesome. Yeah, it's heavier than I thought it would be. Like well, the, I mean, you do have it on the the stand there, right? Yeah, yeah. and the stand, actually the stand was pretty heavy, but like the action pod itself, mm-hmm. this feels heavier than i thought it would be yeah and i was trying to like throw a gram at it i'm like this feels like 400 grams it's not 400 grams yeah i think that some of the weight is probably because it has magnets in it yeah that makes sense it's kind of tricky to get the to get the camera itself out that was the biggest surprise to me is that there's a little release button on the side that you have to press in but then once you do that it's really hard to get a grip on the little camera to pull it out and you end up having to kind of grip it around the lens guard thing and i mean i think that's fine but it just feels weird to do defaults to portrait orientation or i guess like it, it's in whatever orientation you want it to be but mm-hmm. i would have thought that it would be like landscape you would hold the no, you sideways can, you but can, you have to hold it you can switch that so okay. in the settings on there you can change whether you're filming 16 by 9 or 9 by 16 and there's a regular video mode where you can like it's gonna shoot a you know 9 by 16 or 16 by 9 video or you can do the free frame video mode where you it just records and then you can do you can make those decisions later. The problem with using the free frame mode, I think, is that you have to use their app to process your video, you know, into whatever format you want, like before you can export it. So, you know, kind of like if you're trying to get stuff as quickly as possible, like I want to film and then I want to immediately post this, then you probably want to shoot in the regular mode. But it's neat that you have that free frame option if you're not really sure what you want. I didn't realize that it had face detect autofocus. Yeah, yeah. I'm like holding this up to myself, and it's got a little boxer on my face. Mm-hmm. And then I flip it around to you, and it's like, oh no, there's Daniel. I was it, I was surprised whenever I first used it because, like, you know, when the first thing you did when you got this cat when you picked up the camera was point at yourself because yeah. you know that that's you. Sure, but that's not how I am. And I'm like, oh, what can I film with this thing? And I filmed for a while, and then eventually I pointed at myself. It's like, oh. It has a uh, face detect autofocus. That's cool. Surprisingly low latency for that screen. Mm-hmm. Just with the but the pill to the side and the thing, like Yeah. It's like no no serious delay. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. It is a little slow to turn on, surprisingly. Not like super slow, but even even uh once you have it turned on, starting the recording is slow. Like really? you know, we're we're kind of used to cameras where it's like, I'm trying to capture the moment, I'm gonna start recording like you know, half a second before that happens. You can't do that with this. You got to start the recording a little bit. Does this mean it's charging? Yeah, that does mean it's charging. Okay, so if it's off and the pill is in the thing, there's still a red light on that shows you it's charging. Yeah. I mean, it'll turn off once it's uh, fully charged again. I feel like you got to put gaff tape over that thing. You can turn the lights off. Okay. In the menu. Yeah, so that's the other thing. I've Like, I haven't used this thing much yet, and so maybe next episode we can have, you know, a little bit more of a review, but... One thing I've noticed so far looking at the menus is they let you configure a lot of stuff. So you can turn those lights on and off. You can change what all the buttons do. So there's like a Q button on the side that's like a, you know, like a quick menu. You can change what that does. There's a lot of uh, configuration. Just I'm impressed listen, so far. Listen to how satisfying this is. Yeah. I just, it feels just good. snaps in real good. It feels real good. Now... Okay, so like if I hold if I hold the button, it's like one, two, then the blue light turns on. Mm-hmm. Three, four, and, five, and to, six. To, now it's on. To clarify, to turn it on, you can just tap the button. You oh, you just tap it. You don't have to hold it. Got it. Mm-hmm. And okay. then to turn it off, you have to hold it. So you click record. 
One, two, and now it's recording. Yeah. So it, it didn't it's take f- long. It's fine. Yeah. Like, it's totally fine. You just have to be aware of it, you know. This is cool. Mm-hmm. This is super cool. Whenever you're uh, using it, if you tap the power button, it turns the screen off. If you hold it down, it turns the camera off. So you can power down the screen, you know, to say battery if you want to. Got it. And then it stays blue to mm-hmm. let you know that yeah. it's still on. This is cool, Daniel. All yeah. right. We can stop talking about this. Uh, I'm super, super into it. Yeah. Once I I've like had it. more of a chance to use it, I'm planning on trying to film some things, you know, over the next week or two or something. Uh, at some point after that, we'll do a little review of it. I love it. Okay. Moving on. Moving on. Listener feedback? Yeah. I we, guess. We, no, Lucas, this has a name. It's called Follow Up. No, Daniel. This isn't one of those podcasts. <laughs> you have to have like TM, like Relay or something. Yeah, or Syracuse right. after your name to... <laughs> Was it Hurley? I can't remember. Yeah, one of those one of those guys. Trademark. Yeah. All right. Well, what is our feedback? Okay, so uh, we talked, I don't know, a couple weeks ago or something? Yeah, something like that. Two weeks ago, maybe. A little while back about uh, how I felt like shutter angle is uh, non-applicable to digital cameras, but then also so is shutter speed because they're both like skeuomorphisms of old shutter technology yeah. and then we should move forward into the future and use some even more obscure metric for sensor activation duration <laughs> <laughs> when recording video. Yep. And uh, in that conversation, I kind of offhandedly said that on red cameras, you can change the shutter, which I think is uh, confusing. Yeah. And so to clarify, like obviously with digital cameras, when you're shooting video, there is no mechanical mechanism that's doing a thing. Yeah. So, like on a on a regular on a mechanical film video camera, that that's where you're talking about the spinning disc and has the hole in it, and whenever that goes across the film, like that's when it exposes, and that's where shutter angle comes from, and all that. Correct. But right. digital cameras do not work that way. Right. A, a, if you have a normally, normally, if you have like a global shutter on a camera, that means all the the sensor, it's like a global sensor and all the pixels, all the light detecting pixels activate at one time mm-hmm. and then deactivate at one time instead of rolling through from top to bottom. And the advantage of doing a rolling shutter over a global shutter is you get more dynamic range, but the disadvantage is you can get temporal aliasing, I think is what it's called, <laughs> or uh, jello. Yeah, rolling shutter so, effects. Yeah, right. We get all that, right? But to clarify, what I was talking about is in, in 2013, whenever Red was still doing like the Epic and right like before the Dragon came out, or it was like the Epic and the Scarlet, they released this like accessory because you could you can like swap out the mounts on your Red camera. And so they released this thing called the motion mount. And what it was is whenever you put the motion mount on your Epic, it added a global shutter and a, and a, and a electronic ND filter. Interesting. And so you you had a rolling shutter on your camera, but you could put a global shutter on your camera. And like it's it's all electronics and stuff like that. But it had an interchangeable like you're not changing the shutter mechanism, but that's what I was talking about. Yeah. It's like there there is a device that was a thing in 2013 that like no one uses anymore and it's all forgotten because it was 10 years ago and it's not relevant. But you could you could swap the shutter on your camera, but not like really swap the shutter, but you could put a global shutter. That's on really a interesting. Camera. Yeah. Yeah. And like I knew about it, but I couldn't like find the exact name of it. And so I had to like go Googling for a while yesterday to be like, like I know this is a thing, but like what is it called? And it's called like the 
the bread motion mount. Interesting. With, with variable ND. Yeah. So there. Yeah. A lot of <laughs> lot of confusing stuff there. And like I know the original Red Komodo had a global a, a sensor with global readout, which is, you know, effectively a global shutter in modern digital video cameras. And then the Komodo X does not have that. It has a normal rolling shutter. Right, right. And so there's a lot of confusing stuff with, you know, what what are you talking about? Which camera has which thing? You know, you can't generally swap it out. I mean, it's like the camera has a certain sensor. The sensor behaves in a certain way. That's not something you can change after you buy it, except in the case of this very yeah, specific Yeah, unless you have a, a 2013 Red Epic or Red Scarlet <laughs> with a motion mount on it, <laughs> then you can change from rolling shutter to global shutter. Very interesting. <laughs> so uh, I try to figure out how that thing works because I was like, I just want to know. I'm like, how the heck? How the heck are they doing this? Are you like putting a different sensor on the end of your camera? Because like it doesn't seem like what they would be doing. Yeah. Because they didn't say like this has a sensor in it. They're like this has a global shutter in it. But there's like, I'm like does it have com- compute in it that's like changing how the thing or like changing how the light hits the sun? Like what is this thing doing that you're that you're attaching to the front of the camera? And I couldn't figure it out because every time I tried to dig through Red's documentation, it was like let me explain to you in excruciating detail what global shutter is. And I'm like yeah. I know what global shutter is. Dang it. <sighs> that's going to be fun to edit. I know. That's why I slapped the table. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> cool. Makes sense. Okay. If anybody else has feedback or questions about things you talk about on the show, you should definitely let us know. We uh, like to hear from people and happy to follow up on things as needed. Uh, you can always send that stuff in uh, on our website, cameragearpodcast.com. And you can also send us tweets at cameragearpod. So definitely want to hear more. Tell Lucas if he's wrong and we'll make him correct it on the air. I'm never wrong. God, come at me, bro. <laughs> you could see we have a very welcoming environment here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we did it in milliseconds, you could say that like 20.8 milliseconds uh, sensor activation for for normal normal frame rates. Well, it's because it, it, that's, that's the joke you were making last time, right? Is that sensors should have a... You know, like sensor activation duration, and when you see people like Gerald Undone review cameras, when when he measures rolling shutter performance, he gives you a millisecond value, or mm-hmm. it's the, you know, mm-hmm. like that's kind of like how you can measure rolling shutter, and it's just kind of funny because that would actually be a useful metric to have on spec sheets and yeah, to understand. So mm-hmm. I'm just saying that also, like you would never be able to figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it would be way too much math math for everybody. Yeah, being able to just say you know one over your your frame rate or yeah. your frame rate divided by or whatever yeah or, sorry one two times your frame rate divided by yeah i mean all, all of this stuff is just convenience values or you know like abstractions from how the technology works iso is the same way a modern digital camera sensor doesn't i mean iso is not the same as what it was in film you know right, like the sensor right. has different gain levels and i mean if you want to go like all the way down it's like you know, there's an electrical amplifier that is getting a certain, you know, a certain mm-hmm. gain gain value, and that's what it's returning. But you know, and you do see some some video cameras call it gain instead of ISO, like the right, uh, Blackmagic right. Ursa does that. Um, but we all use ISO because it's something that we're familiar mm-hmm. with, and we kind of understand what those numbers mean. And I think that's fine. I mean, you know, it's it gives us all a common language to work with, and it kind of like abstracts the technology from the process. So yeah. That stuff is getting all very technical. It feels like like the more you know about like 
how that sensor stuff works and like ISO invariance and like raw versus not and like where your sensitivity levels are and your dual gain outputs and all that stuff, you can kind of game the system to get better images out of your camera. Kind of like how, I mean, the camera that we're talking about today has, it has the dual gain and sort of, I think they're not calling it dual gain technically. No, I can't remember. But you can do like that thing where it locks it in, where you're running yeah. at either one of the gains only, mm-hmm. and that's because of like the dynamic range and stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that in cameras where if you really understand how it works, you could kind of like operate on the edges. Like you can push the envelope of what it's capable of and get a little bit better performance or whatever. It doesn't help that all the manufacturers call those different features different things. Yeah. And so like you have to know what like power shot is or something, mm-hmm. and it can get confusing in that way. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Yep. Should we talk about uh should we talk about that camera? We should talk about camera gear, Daniel. Let's talk about camera gear. A6700. Indeed. I've been talking about this camera all year. Yep. Because it's been 4 years since Sony has released a APS-C yep. like a high-end APS-C camera, and we've been wondering when that was going to happen, when they were going to care about APS-C again. Right? And here we are. Previously, it was a the 6600 and the 6400. I think those came out basically the same time, kind of different price points, different compromises. Mm-hmm. And that that was in like 2019, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was 20. I think it might have even been before. But yeah, I think you're right. It's 2019. So pretty old cameras, yeah. right? Four, four years. Four years. And here we are. New new APS-C. And I, was, I wasn't sure what they were going to do because... It's. I think it's really hard to sell an APS-C camera for more than two thousand dollars. Fuji. Yeah. Here, here we are, <laughs> both owning APS-C cameras over two thousand dollars. <laughs> okay, but like for real though, I mean the XH2S has a stacked sensor. What you can't get a stacked sensor for cheaper. The the XH2S is an outlier. But it I, is. I generally agree with you that you know it's it's. It's normally seen in the camera world that like full frame is more professional, more better, mm-hmm. and those cameras generally start somewhere around two thousand dollars. You can get right. a little cheaper if you get like an A seven C or something, but for the most part, that's where they start. And so, yeah, you don't see, like I think it is a hard sell to have an APS-C camera above that point. It is, and I, I do appreciate that Fuji's like we're all APS-C because of the size and. Uh, you know, what, let's make like the coolest, hottest camera that we can. Yeah. And sure, it's twenty five hundred dollars, and that's why we're talking about the XH two S today. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> sorry, no, we're sorry, not. Sorry, sorry, sorry. This is Sony cast. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> Back up a minute. Okay, but I get like, there are people who want to shoot APS C. Like, if you need that extra range, I mean, if you're, I mean, obviously, sports and wildlife is kind of the the main thing of like, if you if you need the range and you don't need the dynamic range. Ha, ha, ha. Like APS-C makes a lot of sense. And a lot of modern APS-C stuff now, like the Canon R7, when you get 30, 32 megapixels with the X-H2, you get 40 megapixels. Yep. So you're no longer losing on the resolution. You're just losing on maybe some of the, some detail, some dynamic range, but you get, you know, one and a half times more out of your lens. Yeah. And so some people want to shoot APS-C, but like, you know, what's the top end for different brands and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And like, yes, it's a way to like save money on on the cameras, but also like maybe you need the top end. And so like Sony's coming out with this A6700. My question like coming into this is like, were they going to release something that's 
this is our R7 competitor, this is our XH2 competitor, this is the top end of the APS-C market, because we know that some people want to shoot on a smaller sensor for their own reasons, or is it a way to get people in the door for Sony and it's a budget camera? Yeah. And with the hope and the intent from them to like eventually push them into their mm-hmm. full frame line. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, they already have, I feel like they already compete pretty well on that. I mean, like for video, they had the FX30, which is APS-C, is a little bit, you know, in that higher end uh, pricing, it's, you know, 17, 1800, something like that. Um, and I feel like for Sony, one of the reasons that people like to shoot the smaller sensors is because the camera and lenses are smaller. And Sony does have one advantage in that even their full frame cameras are pretty small. So exactly. Yeah. So I think that like that advantage to APS-C kind of disappears for Sony. There is still the advantage in like extra reach and stuff, but I mean that, that immediately makes like high end APS-C more of a niche market for Sony. And we also have to point out that on Sony full frame cameras, you can shoot in a crop mode. So if you're really just trying to get that extra reach, you could do that with a full frame Sony camera. But then you lose the resolution. I wouldn't yeah, watch it. Like if you need 30 megapixels or you need, you know, that much out of your camera, then you like you you have to shoot with like a R5 mark whatever. Okay, we'll shoot. Hold on, wait. A7R5. Yeah. But that's true. If you were shooting an A7R5 in crop mode, that's going to be basically the same resolution as the A6700, which, I mean, we haven't even talked about the specs, but it's a 26 megapixel sensor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some people have pointed out that that is uh, the same size sensor as a Fuji. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed so, it is. Uh, what are we thinking? This X-Trans? <laughs> that would be surprising. I kind of doubt it. Though. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. It's definitely not X-Trans. I doubt it's the same sensor as well because of the, yeah. the, the that sub-pixel layout. But yeah, 26 up from 24. Small improvement there. But it is a better sensor. It's backside illuminated. I think the other ones are BSI as well, but it's faster. Yeah. It's much faster. And so they, they're they doing everything they can to kind of get their, whatever you're bang for your buck out of that faster sensor. Mm-hmm. They added the AI processor from the A7R4 5. And the uh, Sony ZV-E1. Yep. And... I mean, there's some meaningful features that come from that. Like, you know, you keep seeing AI as like this marketing bullet point, Mm -hmm. you know, it feels like, oh yeah, whatever it does AI. But I mean, they have like those cool features where it can like automatically crop to like frame you as you move around in a frame and I mean, all that kind of stuff. And it it has everything that the ZV-E1 had, right? It feels like, yeah, it does. It has a lot of the ZV-E1 features, which is very cool Mm -hmm. and it's cool to see them bring those down the line, but it's the same weird Sony problem where it's like they have all of these different features and it's hard to tell like which camera has which feature and it probably has to do with the release date. Like they have the ZV-E10. That doesn't have the ZV-E1 features, but I guess it's probably because it lacks the processor and that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, that, that, and so that probably is why. Now if you're like looking for a cheaper ZV-E1, you probably should be looking at an A6700, mm-hmm. not a ZV-E10, yeah. unless your budget is less than $1,000, <laughs> but then you're probably going to buy a Canon M50. <laughs> Woof. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. And I mean, I guess like, because we haven't explicitly said it, they did kind of go for that lower end, like entry level APS, I mean, not entry level, but like, cheaper APS-C option. You're right. Yeah. So to, to like put a cap on that, what I was saying is like they didn't go for the $1,800, like just under 2000 bucks, top, top, top end APS-C. They went for the mid-range. Yeah. Because it's like, it was like $1,300. Is that? Yeah. It's, it's I think it's 1400 okay. like 1399 kind of thing. Okay. Uh, USD. And 
I would. What did the sixty four hundred release at? That was a thousand straight out, wasn't That's, it? That sounds right. Yeah, because the the sixty four hundred was like the lower end, and then the sixty six hundred was the higher end. I don't remember what those released at, but I do think it was. I think the sixty four was below a thousand. The A six thousand released at seven hundred dollars in twenty fourteen. Yeah, which reminds, which is like, I remember whenever I was first getting into it, I like, I was on into cameras. I, I was looking at a GX seven Panasonic and an A six thousand. Yeah, and I ended up not going to A six thousand just because it was maybe like a hundred bucks more. I bought a camera and a lens for what the price would have been for just the body mm-hmm. used of an A six thousand. Sometimes I think about how different my life would I mean, have been. I mean, your life totally diverged at that point. Well, I mean, like, this has happened multiple times to me because when I, I, I almost, almost went Sony. And then when I was upgrading from the GX7 to my X-T3, oh, man, I was this close. I was this close to buying an A7 III. I was yep. like, this, like, I should just do it. Like, go full frame. Like, buy the A7 III. You're just always, like, right on the, right on the edge of that Sony. Uh, just so close. Just, just then, looking at it from across the chasm. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I would say that I wasn't entertaining a Sony whenever the uh, XH2S came out. I yeah. was. You were solidly a Fuji bro at that point. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm like, I'm a finger hovering over the pre-order button, just mm-hmm. waiting for the announcement. Yeah. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. Sorry, no. Fuji cast. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So they, coming they, coming they, in fourteen hundred bucks, right? So like right in the middle. If you account for inflation, the, the same price point, mm-hmm. roughly. Yeah, probably. Uh, and like, I mean, you look at the competitors, right? The uh, XS10 was a thousand dollars. It's thirteen hundred now. Yeah, so it's kind of the same bump, right? Like we were looking at these once. What were a thousand dollar cameras are now fifteen hundred dollar cameras? It mm-hmm. seems, and I I think that's just the market and the cost of this yeah. material. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's does it justify it though? Like, what are the what do you get with this camera? Yeah. So it seems like they brought over the same the same IBIS from the previous versions like you don't get the cool fancy stuff it's like five act five axis or five stops five stops is it five axis or three axis i think it's i don't know i don't want to say something wrong yeah anyways it's it's, about five stops it's fine it's fine like that's how sony's ibis has always been it's not class leading but it's acceptable yeah and and this one is not it's not a significant improvement over what was what was in the these things four years ago they added the flippy screen which is cool first first a a6 camera to have that right correct right the 6400 you could flip it down but not out right and so cool Mm -hmm. cool to see the sideways flip on this thing the grip is bigger yeah which is nice you know bigger grip and then with that you can put the battery from the 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 current sony battery into it so Mm -hmm. the one that you're going to use in your zv1 or your a7r5 can fit into this yeah. one and that, so that, that is a big improvement i think yeah big improvement on battery we already talked about the ai processing and the the sensor that they swapped out they moved some of the buttons around they still haven't added a joystick which was kind of people's problem with the previous one you know to each their own i like using the joystick this one doesn't have one yeah previously the video record button was like if you're holding the camera it's right in the crease of your thumb like between no, your a, thumb and your weird and spot. Your, yeah, it's like there was no way to push the record button whenever you were like holding the camera. And so they move they turned that into a, a custom button and they moved the record button to the top, cool. which is kind of a nice improvement. Yeah. They added a the a mode switch to it. And so now you have a dedicated switch for stills, movie, and S and Q. Which is slow motion basically, right? Slow and quick. Yeah. Is what that stands for, mm-hmm. it turns out. 
So yeah, and then like you have your normal three custom modes and manual aperture, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it looks so, like it's got a mic jack, headphone jack, micro HDMI, boo. US or UHS two SD card slot, and USB C. It's one card slot, which is still common for these series of cameras. Mm-hmm. Kind of a bummer you don't have two, but fine, whatever. Uh, that, that's fine. I'm I'm not going to complain about that. It's fine. It's it's fine. But they moved it. It used to be in the bottom by the battery. Mm-hmm. And now it's on the side, on the left side with everything else. Much better. Yeah. So that's huge. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't have to like take your tripod plate off yeah. to take your SD yeah. card out. So that's good. That's, I mean, that's that's kind of the quick rundown on the spec. It seems like it's better. Yeah. Can we, can we talk about video stuff? Yeah. Let's talk about video stuff. Okay. So it can shoot oversampled 4K up to 60 frames per second. Yeah, because it's like a 6K sensor, right? Right. It's a roughly a 6K sensor at that 26 megapixels, like 6.2K. Mm-hmm. And so it'll downsample. You can unlimited record times, 24, 30, all the way up to 60, and that's full width. You're not getting any open gate. It In order to get that those speeds, it has to chop the top and the bottom off and then oversample down. Right. And so I think that uh, Jordan said it has a crop in these modes. It's not like an actual crop. It's, it is still full sensor width, but it's not the same like framing that you're going to get out of your uh, out of like a, your photo mode. Basically. Interesting. I mean, that's pretty common actually. Yeah, it's it's yeah. totally common. Like, not a big deal. It's cool that you can now have 4K 60 uncropped, oversampled. Like yeah. that's that feels like a like a spec sheet baseline right now for 2023 cameras, mm-hmm. as far as you know. What's the what's the buzz feature that we want to you know get over? What we need to have uncropped 4K 60 and 4210 bit. Yeah, and most cameras that are coming out like they're hitting that yeah that, that mark. And and I I mean to pause for a second on that like you said 42210 bit that's one of the biggest improvements with this sensor and with this camera is that a lot of the previous Sony stuff like all these previous A64 and A6600 even like you know. A7 III, A7C, and all that, they all were limited to 8-bit video. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, in all of Sony's newer stuff, they've been doing you know 10-bit 422, and it makes a big difference in color grading, and this camera can do all that stuff. Right. It, And not even just color grading, but like the way that the images look and the, the fidelity and just the accuracy for skin tones and white balance and that sort of thing is significantly improved in the Sony cameras that do ship with 10-bit video and that 422. You can absolutely tell the difference between a video shot with 8-bit and a video shot with 10-bit. Yes, that's true, but also especially on a Sony. Yeah. And so this is it's great to see now that, you know, you can get an APS-C Sony with 10-bit in it. Yep. And this is one of the reasons why I have avoided saying, yeah, just go out and buy like a used A6400. I mean, you probably find it for less than $1,000 and like it's going to be a great little camera, get you into Sony, all this stuff. I, I try not to recommend that to people if they're going to shoot video just because I feel like the 8-bit has aged not well. Yeah, I agree. So it's great to see it here. That was That's like a needed thing. There mm-hmm. was, This is... This doesn't fly without it, in my opinion. Yeah. That's not true. People will just buy it anyways. It doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's really great. And then you can also shoot in 4K 120. That's mm-hmm. really cool. With a crop. So that, yeah, so that is pixel for pixel. It it doesn't, it won't give you line skip 4K 20. It won't give you oversampled. It will crop in onto a 4K size on the frame mm-hmm. and then give you the 120, which is like a 1.5-ish. It's yeah. like just between 1.5 and 1.6. So pretty heavy, but fine. Not uncommon either. Yeah, not uncommon. I mean, you'd have to get into like a like an XH2S to shoot unco- uncropped 4K 120. I don't even think that does. It doesn't. I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> it's like a 1.2 crop. Yeah. 
Oh, well. Yeah, so that's, I mean, like, that all seems pretty good. It seems mm-hmm. like most of the story around this is, look, it's got all these great video specs. It looks good. The rolling shutter is a little not great. It's, like, barely acceptable in video. Yeah. It's right around 15 milliseconds in your oversampled modes. When you're shooting 4K 120, it's way less. It's, like, under 10. It's, like, 8 milliseconds or whatever. But in your normal reading modes, it's, you know, 15-ish. It's better than, like, an A7R 4, which is pushing 20. Yeah. But it's definitely not as good as, like, an XS 20 or, um, like, the EOS R. I don't know if the EOS R7 is. But it's definitely not, like, an XH2 or an XH2S. So... It's good. It's definitely an improvement, but it's not great. It's like just passable. It has better rolling shutter performance than the XS20. No, it does. Just yeah. kidding. But ah. uh, you know, it's not, not going to be as good as the XH2S because it's not a stack sensor. Right. Yeah. So like, it's kind of it's like right at you know as good as you're going to get with that much oversampling, that much data processing in yeah. a non-stack sensor. Yep. So good. Overheating seems to be an issue. Yeah. For some people, I was going to say like, in a lot of ways, this camera feels like an FX30 with you know, a mechanical shutter and a viewfinder and at a lower price. And no fan. Yeah. But that, that no fan is kind of where you, where you lose some of this performance because it's a small body and, you know, trying to do 4k 60 or 4k 120. Yeah. That does seem like there's some overheating issues if you record for a long time. It is the same sensor as the FX 30. I think that's right. Yeah. So I guess like that's kind of the kind of thing though, if you're going to buy only for video, like if you're, 99% 99% video, you pay the extra $300 and you get an FX30 instead. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Because what was the overheating performance? What did you see on that? Oh, it seems, it just kind of depends on who's testing it, but it seems like 4K24 is somewhere around 45 minutes before it overheats. And then 4K60 is closer to like 20 or 30 mm, minutes. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's basically the record limits of the last one. They took away the record limits, but you still have record limits because it overheats. Yeah, that's that's meaningful. I mean, I know some of the stuff that you and I shoot, I, I wouldn't be feeling good if I thought I could only record for 45 minutes. Oh, for sure. I mean, some of the stuff that we shoot, it's been like, you know, we'll shoot in 30p, but it's it's 6k and it'll be yeah. a 30-minute recording. Mm-hmm. No problem. Yeah. But I'd be a little worried if, you know, if that was like close to my overheating limit. So I think like, I know this is, this is ridiculous, but what if, and like no one makes anything like this. What if they had like an accessory where like you could like flip the screen out and like screw a fan on the back? Oh yeah. That, that's what a ridiculous idea. <laughs> Who would ever do that? <laughs> I, I don't know. Just not, I'm not an idea man, Daniel. Yeah. Not an idea man. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it comes with, you know, most of your profiles. You get s tone. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of like the perfect thing for this. Yeah, you know, just just shoot shoot. Yeah, it's like down. it's like the auto settings version of getting uh, cinematic footage. Exactly, it's the Eterna for Sony. Yep. Uh, S Log three, HLG, S Log two. Actually, I didn't write I didn't write down S Log two. I just assume it has S Log two. Yeah, it probably does. But S Log three is the the good one. Well, S Log two is good too. Anyways, yeah. So I mean, that's it. You can upload LUTs to it. You can upload like sixteen LUTs. Wow. That's a feature that seems to be coming to more cameras, yeah. and I think it needs to come to all the cameras. Indeed. I want to upload LUTs to my X-H2S. Yeah, I can't believe you can't. But I also want them to release more manufacturer LUTs. I feel like that, that's, a, that's a hill I'll, I'll die on. Yeah. I want them, I want, not really, but I want Fuji to come out. Like, they have the Eterna one. 
but I want like an F-Log 2 to Classic Chrome and an F-Log 2 to Provia and like all the film simulations. Just give me, just give me F-Log. Like, give me the film conversions so I can then do my videos in those, but I can still get the dynamic range out of log. Lucas, the Sony bros are getting upset. This is not Fujicast Day. Have I talked about film convert? I feel like... <laughs> Not now. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, right, right, right. Uh, A6700. A- A- <laughs> I think this is a great little camera. I think there's a bunch of like weird little quirks. They didn't upgrade the resolution of the screen. Mm-hmm. They didn't upgrade the resolution of the viewfinder. They didn't upgrade the IBIS. They made the grip bigger and better. They made the battery life better. They improved the sensor. And so it's like they kind of improved some of the things. But it's weird that like four years later, some of the other things aren't. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like they felt like they didn't have to because you look at kind of the competitors against this thing and it kind of depends on who you're comparing it to. But say like, let's just say it's the R7 and the XS20. Yeah, I, I mean, let's talk about that. Like if if you're looking for an APS-C camera in, in like this price range, what what does it compete against? Real quick before we get to that. Like, yeah, the R7 and the XS20 are two of those cameras that it's competing against. Mm-hmm. And the resolution on like the viewfinder and the resolution on the screen is basically the same as those. And yeah. it seems like it's a price point thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to save money somewhere, right? But like Sony is a spec pusher and it feels like they could have come in and said, actually, our screen's a little higher resolution, like just a smidge higher. Mm-hmm. Take that, everybody else. And like maybe it wouldn't have cost them that much more. Maybe it was $50, $50 more for that part or like for the cost of the camera. But they didn't do it. Yeah. I don't know. So I don't know. It just feels weirdly, not like compromised, but the cost cutting seems to be all in the same spots as it's always been for these yeah. Sony cameras. Well, and it's weird to not see certain improvements on a four-year newer body. I mean, maybe maybe they just understand their market well and they know what people care about when they buy these cameras. And I mean, one indication of that is if they're making the same trade-offs every time, maybe they've just decided that having the screen not look quite as good is, you know, is fine. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Okay, there's three more things before we talk about competitors because right. I think that's a very interesting conversation. So, yeah. uh, one, they they still have the stupid stupid dangly eyelets on this thing for the yeah, straps. Yeah, those just need to go. Jeez, I, I saw that right away. I'm like, oh, man. Mm-hmm. Jingle, 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 jingle. They added an AF button on the back so you can back button autofocus. Oh, they didn't have that before? Yeah, huge win. Mm-hmm. And they added a dial to the front of the grip. Yeah, so now you actually have three dials. So mm-hmm. if you want to put your, your three major settings on there, you can. Yeah, so that's all. That's all huge. That's great, yeah. great stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about like who who do you compare this to, and the obvious comparisons are definitely you know the EOS R7 and the R10, which bracket the A6700 on both sides. Yeah. You got the R7 for 1500 and the R10 for a thousand. I think that's right. And then you have the XS20, which is almost the same price. It's fourteen thirteen hundred versus fourteen hundred. Yeah. And then right in the middle for 1500 you have the R8, which is a full-frame competitor. Mm-hmm. And then obviously, like, there's the FX30. That's at, like, 1800 Yeah, 1800 like And then also at the price point, you have the X-T5 and the X-H2. Yeah, well, the X-H2 is $2,000. That's, I, I don't know, that's Okay, that's so not the X-H2. Thing. Yeah. X-T5, $1,800. Yeah. So all within that, like, one... Thirteen hundred to eighteen hundred price yeah. range, like a five hundred dollar, you know, window. You got a lot of cameras in yeah, there. Yeah, you do. And this just comes right, right down the middle. Mm-hmm. I feel like the XT five is a better camera. Well, I mean, I think it is. <laughs> like, like the XT five is, I think, in a, is a different class of camera. I mean, it's forty megapixels. 
Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of physical controls. Two SD card slots. Uh, two SD card slots, high-end video features. I mean, in a lot of ways, like it seems it seems like clearly the best camera in that range, but it's also five hundred dollars more, four or five hundred dollars more than than most of the rest of these cameras. And I mean, that's the price of a lens. Like I yep. you can't ignore that difference. Right. You can't, you can't. So and it's it's kind of I don't know, it's interesting to think about how like maybe maybe the X T five is kind of like the best overall hybrid maybe but like maybe the r7 is your better like sports or action or something um and then maybe the fx30 is your better video maybe the xs20 is your better cheaper option i don't know yeah yeah it's kind of a tricky uh tricky segment to look at and i mean just like anything else it depends on what you're doing yeah so i think like looking at looking at how this compares to something like like the eos r7 it has the R7 feels like what I was talking about earlier, where like here's the top of the top of the APS-C line. That has it has a better IBIS, it has higher megapixels at 33, it has dual card slots, it has a better better EVF, same back screen. It can't doesn't have the same video specs, but as far as a photo camera, it's just better. It has like better burst rates. Mm-hmm. It can shoot like 30 frames per second electronic, and it's just it's more rugged of a body. It's a more professional body. It's got a, and the batteries are about the same, but it's kind of, it's hard to cross shop the EOS R7 and the 6700. If you're looking for a photo camera, the R7 is just going to be better. Yeah. But if you're looking for a hybrid video camera, the 6700, I'll keep trying to call it 6400, the 6700 seems like it has maybe better video specs. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, and lenses, you know, you're going to have more options for Sony on lenses, especially APS-C. Yeah, well, I feel like their APS-C lineup is not great. Like, if you're looking for small lenses, like small APS-C lenses, Fuji's going to have a better array. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking for lenses in total, Sony Sony wins it sure. for sure. Yeah. I guess they all you could just put those, those Sigma Primes on all of them. Yeah. So, what about the XS20? Like, how does... How does the A6700 compare to that? Well, that's an interesting one. Those, that one just came out. It just came out. The sensor has same same megapixel count, you know, both uh, 26 megapixels. And yeah, I mean, right right at the same price point. You know, it's those feel like close competition to me. The XS20 has better IBIS, uh, the seven stops versus the five stops on the 6700. 6, uh, and the screen's better on the XS20. Right, right. It's a little better. I think that like if you're comparing photos, it comes down to like which do you just want kind of the standard Sony stuff? Do you need slash want film simulations out of Fuji? Do you want yeah. X trans? I think that's that's an obvious comparison. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, but I mean that's I think that's a big thing for people to think about because sure. I know the thing that we really like about Fuji is that with the film simulations, you can take a picture and get some kind of a more stylized look. And I mean, the out of camera JPEGs are really good. They're really good. On the other hand, I feel like Sony prioritizes like something that looks natural mm-hmm. which used to be something that i cared a lot about and for video i do want generally like a natural look that we can color grade or whatever but i mean i've kind of started to change my mind on that for photos because natural is good in some ways but it's also just kind of like boring i guess and, and subjective just depends on what you're doing but I don't the know. World, that, that is a big difference between those cameras though the world looks like classic chrome to me daniel <laughs> <laughs> the XS20 has a higher electronic burst rate. It can shoot 
20 frames per second. Interesting. Compared to what? Like 11 on the 6700? Yeah. Maybe am I looking at the wrong the wrong thing here? It is more. Where's the stupid burst rate? Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. 20. There it is. Yeah, so that's twice as about twice as fast. Right. But if you're shooting electronic 6700 is 11, but you know, if, if you need more burst, XS20 has got you. Mm-hmm. And then the other big thing is XS20 has the open gate recording. You can yeah. shoot in 6.2K if you need to. Yeah. And I know for us doing the video, like doing interviews and stuff like that, that open gate recording is really, really valuable. And that's a feature worth thinking about. You know, if you want to shoot something anamorphic with those nanomorphs we talked about earlier, or if you just want to be able to crop in, uh, open gate's pretty useful. It's funny to have to pick between, like I'm looking at, you know, R7, XS20, both of those crop in 4K60 mm-hmm. versus the 6700 now doesn't. Yeah. And so it's like, do you want open gate or do you want uncropped 4K60? Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting trade off for sure. Yep. And I don't know. If you're looking for like dynamic range and that sort of thing, I feel like that's where the R7 just drops off the list because you are be able to shoot an F log 2 and you're able to shoot an S log 3. In on the Sony and on the Fuji, which are going to get you close to that 14 stops of dynamic range, mm-hmm. maybe like 13 or 12 after noise reduction. Yeah. But you just kind of kind of get a better profile, I think, out of F log two and out of S log three compared to uh, C log three. Yeah. C log three just isn't isn't great. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. We talked about rolling shutter a little bit earlier, but like 4K 24, um, the A6700 has. Yeah, I'd say notably better rolling shutter performance over the XS20. It's about comparable with the R7 in certain modes. Right. It just kind of depends upon how you're shooting. And like is, these things are all about the same, right? They're not stack sensors. They're all kind of in that 15-ish millisecond rolling shutter performance range, mm-hmm. which is better than older cameras, but still not, you know, as good as like the new stack stuff. Yeah. And I think like the last thing is is size. Like if that matters. The A6700 is definitely going to be the smallest in the lineup. You know, the XS20 is similar, like within yeah, a few it's, millimeters. It's pretty close in size. But they're, they're both definitely smaller smaller cameras than the R7. The R7 is like, this is like the big professional, yeah. you know, durable body. Yeah, that's a big boy. And then the other thing that we didn't talk about yet, kind of comparing all these things, is like we're just all over here in APS-C world. The R8 is at $1,500. And that has the exact same sensor as the R6 Mark II. Mm-hmm. It's Full frame. Full frame. You can shoot uncropped 4K60 with that thing. Yeah. The, oh, it doesn't overheat like the uh, 6700 does. You can shoot longer in the unrecorded modes. And like, yeah, it's like C-Log3 and all this stuff. But as far as a video camera, I think the R8 is as capable, if not more capable, than the 6700 at just $100 more. And you're getting better noise performance because of that that sensor from the R6 Mark II. And yeah. so it's uh, it's a kind of a more interesting hybrid option uh, compared to the 6700, I think. Yeah, that's interesting. I think like if you need like high-speed recording stuff, the 6700 is going to have better, you know, like better 4K, like 4K 120. You just, you don't get that in the Canon. And so like if you need the slow motion stuff, I think you got to be looking at just totally different things in general. Yeah. But I, I think that it's a hard sell comparing the 6700 to the R8. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, get full frame is valuable. I mean, right. as much as we like APS-C, like there are advantages to full frame and it's pretty tempting to pay a hundred dollars more and get a full frame camera. But I mean, that's kind of how these market lines work, right? Like you've got a whole range of cameras, you know, like for Sony, you know, you start at like 
$600 for a ZVE 10 or whatever. And like, that's your lowest end APSC. And then you go all the way up to, you know, like a $4,000, you know, or $5,000 full frame, you know, video camera. And there's kind of like this whole range in between. And it's kind of like the a 6,700 is right at the top end of their APSC line. And so like, there's, there's naturally going to be like breakover between that and like a lower end. Full right. Frame camera. Right. Where we're comparing the lowest end of the full frame to the highest end of the, of the APS-C. Yeah. And that is a pretty big overlap. I mean, we've talked about the XH2 and the XH2S being $2,000 mm. which are definitely in the price bracket of like the R6 Mark II and the, a- and the A7 IV and these yep. full frame cameras, the yep. S5 Mark II, right? So it's like, do you try to get into the cheapest full frame or do you try to buy the highest in APS-C? Yeah. And like, to me, the big advantages of APS-C are like, you have a smaller sensor. So like, Give me better IBIS. Give me faster read speeds mm-hmm. and better rolling shutter performance and like pull more data off the sensor. Give me more dynamic range, which is like the argument for something like a C70 or an XH2S with that 14-bit readout. Right. And you just don't get that with the 6700. Yeah. And so it's I feel like it's not top end enough to convince me that it's worth it over the cheapest full-frame camera like an X-H2 or an X-T5R. I mean, like an X-H2 at $1,000, you can shoot 8K with that thing. Yeah, You yeah. can't do that with your R8. And so it's like, it's it's better enough. It's 40 megapixels, mm-hmm. right? Like you have all these selling points over, over the full frame option versus the Sony, which is like $100 less. It's basically the same price. Yeah. And you're, you're not really getting much of anything for that. It, you know, it... Like, obviously, if I was going to buy a camera, I'd be buying the XS20 because I already have Fuji lenses and and all that. But even ignoring that, I feel like I would pick the XS20 over this. And a lot of the reason for me is, I mean, film simulation is part of it, but a lot of the reason for me is the lens options. Mm -hmm. Because I know Fuji has a lot of good APS-C lens options for an affordable price. It's like I could get an XS20 and a perfectly capable zoom lens like the Sigma 18-50, Tamron 17-70, that could be all in for $2,000. Whereas Sony has a lot of lenses, but a lot of them are full frame lenses. And I mean, they're, they're still expensive, right? Like if you want a good capable lens, it's not cheap. And I just feel like Fuji has a little bit, they have a little bit of a better lineup for that kind of stuff because they're so focused on APS-C. Yeah, I can see that. It just like, it depends on what you're doing. I, I feel like for a lot of people, Sony's the right call and it's a great system to grow into. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is, this is basically the entry point for a lot of people. Yeah. Maybe like the ZVE 10 is instead. But you do have a lot of growing room because if you buy those full frame lenses, you could use them on your camera now. And then if you want to upgrade cameras later, like you can still use all of your same lenses. Right. But like if you're trying to get this, it depends on what you're getting it for. If you want it for the AI features and the smart reframing and C-Log3 and like just doing vlog stuff, mm-hmm. this is a great little cheap for cheaper version, not cheap, cheaper version of the ZVE-10. Yeah. And then like maybe you can grab ZVE-1, sorry. And maybe you can graduate into something like that later. But if you're looking to do, you know, you need the fast burst rates, the XS20 is better. Yeah. And if you need more light, the R8 is better. And if you're shooting like long form video, the XS20 is like you can slap the fan on that thing and then you can record 6K as long as the car doesn't run out. And so you're, you, it's a better, like a better interview camera would be the XS20 yeah. over, over the A6700. Maybe the FX30 is better than both of those, but still. 
I know. It's Confu- interesting. Confusing lineup. It is. It's, it's just a, there's like all of these little compromises and it really depends on like what you're doing. Yeah. And whether or not those things all perfectly line up. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I was watching the thousands of videos and reading all the reviews on the 6700, I kept thinking about the ZV-E1 and mm-hmm. I'm like, man... I feel like I kind of want a ZV-E1. <laughs> Which, that camera's pretty expensive. It's like $2,200. Yeah, it's $2,200. Mm-hmm. And But the sensor in that thing and like all the fun modes, it seems like the perfect... Like If you just need a small little video camera that can do everything, sort of, not really. I don't know. It just seems kind of fun. Yeah. It's tiny. It's full frame. I, it's got that 12, me- 12 megapixel sensor you in You know, it. we've talked about that one before, and it, it just seems like... Yeah, I mean, it depends on depends on what your mindset is when you're doing video stuff. I feel like if you want like a casual vlog camera and you're willing to pay whatever price to get it, that that's the perfect choice. I just I for like for the video features and the you know the flip it around or even just you know you're you're shooting something, um, having a small camera with you that can be good at video. I like the ZVE one for that so much more than the 6700. And I guess yeah. like that's maybe not the market and that's just kind of like the things that I'm interested in. So that's what I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. And that maybe the 6700 really is like, this is our cheaper photo camera. We're focusing on the photo. It does have the video specs, but if you're really into video, go with the FX 30 yeah. and like the ZVE one is not a photo camera at all, mm-hmm. but I like it more than this, but also it's, I it's mean, definitely it- like, a thousand dollars more. No, nobody is actually comparing these two cameras. Like it's just me. I'm the only one. Yeah, because people, people generally have a budget. They want to get the best camera they can in that budget. And you know, if your budget's twenty two hundred dollars, you have a a totally different set of choices than if your budget is fourteen hundred dollars. And for these fourteen hundred dollar cameras, it's pretty clear that the budget for that is sub two thousand dollars. Yeah, which I think is pretty reasonable. I think a lot of people come in looking for a camera. And they're trying to find something that's less than $2,000. I mean, the first time you spent more than $2,000 on a camera was last July. That's true. That's true. So, you know, that it's easy to forget. But, I mean, a lot of people out there are trying to trying to stay under that. Yeah, know? and I would think that for most people, and I'm, I mean, I, this is just a total guess, but, you know, if you're not, like, making money from your photo and video work, paying more than $2,000 for your gear is kind of a hard ask yeah how much uh, how much money had you made from your photo and video work whenever you bought your twenty five hundred dollar camera lucas shut up daniel (laughs) (laughs) it's not important people have money to spend on hobbies they should spend money and be be happy doing it and you do get a better camera for more money like that's true like let's be honest i mean if you have twenty five hundred dollars to spend on a camera you will get a better camera that will be more fun to use and more capable that if you buy a thousand dollar camera, yeah, it's just all the cameras that are in that two thousand to twenty five hundred dollar price bracket are the ones that used to be two thousand dollars before. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there was there's always like the argument where you know, okay, yeah, I'm looking at these a thousand dollar cameras, but like thousand dollars plus the lens versus just the body for this one, but like those are so much better, or like at least it used to be that way. But now everything's shifted up five hundred dollars. Yeah. And yep. so now you're not, you're not at that $2,000 price point, which mm-hmm. is still kind of, I think, a, a hard hurdle for some people. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. You know, for $600 more, you could get an S5 Mark II X. <laughs> yeah. With no lens, you know, like, I mean, cause that's what it comes down to to me is like with this camera, you're going to be with the 6700, you're going to be able to get the camera and a solid lens 
before two thousand dollars, maybe before tax. I mean, um, what, but not with the uh, not with the S five. What lens are you getting for this thing? Oh, I don't know. I don't know anything about Sony lenses. I mean, like, I just assume they've got something. I mean, wor- worst case, you get a Tamron seventeen to seventy, and that's seven seven or eight hundred bucks. Actually, yeah, you could get a, that that lens yeah. for this, yep. or the Sigma. Uh, Sixteen to fifty. Eighteen to 18 fifty. Eighteen to fifty. That, that would probably be my choice because yeah, that, would, that lens is five fifty, and so you would come in right under two thousand before tax, and that seems like a solid lens. Yeah, no, I love that as the option. That's that's definitely the pick. Is the eighteen to fifty Sigma two one eight. Seventeen to seventy is just hundred fifty dollars more. Don't yeah, well, one. right now I think it's on sale. It, that that lens is nominally eight hundred dollars, but it's just yep. Right now it's seven hundred. I'm searching on B and H for APS-C Sony lenses. I mean, they got a power zoom eighteen to one hundred five f four for uh, five hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, pretty cool. That is so. Fuji has almost that exact same lens, but the Fuji lens is like five hundred dollars more. Really? Yeah. yeah. Muy interessante. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Man, there's a lot of good options here. That's the strength of Sony, man. That E mount. Oh, you can get you can get of course of course they have they have all the same like third party lenses that are on the Fuji. So you can get yeah. the Tamron 11 to 20 2.8 for 700 bucks. Did you just say 11 to 20? 11 to 20. <laughs> you got it. That's the one. Yeah. Look at all these options. Oh man, they got a 15 1 4 G lens for 650. Hmm. I'm switching to Sony. <laughs> Look at all these great lenses. You do have a lot of choices at a reasonable price, and that's something you're going to have a harder time with on more expensive cameras. I mean, there's a lot of really good lenses here for less than $600 that are better than the equivalent uh, Canon lenses that are $600. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's not hard. <laughs> Just kidding. The Canon ones are really good. Like that 80 mil that's less than 500 bucks F2, that's macro also. I love that lens. I've never owned that lens, but I love it. You've owned that lens. It's so good. Anyway, I think like we don't really, I feel like we don't really have a good satisfying, like, yes, you should buy this camera. No, you shouldn't. It's, it's, What's up? it's in a really weird spot. What's up to uh, the, the other people to decide? I just, I feel like the, the conversation around this has been strange. I've seen some reviews where they come out and they're like, this is a, it's definitely an upgrade. And there's some really huge improvements as far as the user interface and the sensor and the AI capabilities and the video and like all this is great. They added the flippy screen, blah, 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 blah. But then like there's the things that didn't change, like the the back screen resolution and the EVF and the yeah. IBIS and that sort of thing. And it's like some people have been coming out of the reviews saying for, for four years later, this feels like a camera they put out because they had the FX30 and they just needed a photo version of it. Yeah. And they kind of just like slid this thing out. Mm -hmm. And then there's other people who've reviewed it, like Gerald, who are like, this is the best APS-C camera you can buy. It's it's phenomenal. And for the first time ever, I don't do I don't agree with Gerald on this. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's better options, but also like it's still pretty good. And if like you went out and bought an A6700, I think you're gonna be really, really happy, and I think it's gonna be great. Yeah, I can't really say it any better than that. I think yeah. that all makes sense. Cool. Okay, let's talk about more about Fuji. <laughs> <laughs> You've been trying to talk about Fuji the whole time. This there have been undertones of Fuji in this entire episode. Yeah, and now I, you're saying you want to talk about Fuji. Okay, I don't. I don't know how you discuss APS-C cameras and you don't talk about Fuji. Which like APS-C is their their world. Like. You think you're going to release an APS-C camera and not have to compete in Fujiland? <laughs> I'm just saying. So Fuji's been making 10 years, X-Mount, right? And uh, they release a lot of lenses. And, you know, 
we are all we are all obsessed with the X100 series. But did you know that's not their only fixed lens point and shoot camera? I I actually did know that, Lucas. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the XF10 is kind of like the current cheaper whatever version, but that one has a bare sensor. Oh man, that's like a that's like a step brother, a Fuji step brother. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know if I'm allowed to say that, but that's what it is. Sure. Who knows? So forget about the XF10. Cool little camera. I want to talk about the X70. Yeah, I've heard of this camera, but I I've never known whether it's actually worth looking at. So it's also equivalently overpriced in the used market for what it is. Mm-hmm. But this thing is tiny. It makes the X100V look like a can. Uh, sorry, a Nikon Z9. Wow. It's a. It's, it's like the size of a Ricoh GR2. Huh. Okay. It's just like a little baby camera. It's cool. an 18 millimeter lens instead of the thir- the 28 that's on the uh, the X100V. Cool. And. For all you Fuji historians, this thing is rolling the X-Trans 2 sensor. Oh, man, that's old. Which, as we all know, the X-Trans 2 conversion from that to the X-Trans 3 was a pretty big deal. Yeah. A lot of people felt like that some of the character and the things that made Fuji Fuji were lost when we went to X-Trans 3. Hmm. That the X-Trans 2 has a more <clears throat> filmic look to it. <laughs> And there's there's people out there that are like I can't I can't leave my XT2 because I need I need Xtrans 2. Man, interesting. I think the XT2 actually has Xtrans 3. It's the X, XT1 uh, that's Xtrans 2. They just really like having all those colors bleed over when you do the demosaicing. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah you got to have the all the teeth have to be skin yep. skin tone. Yes, or red. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, not, not appealing. So uh, I'm like I've been I've been looking at a. Uh, I've been looking at fixed fix lens point yeah. cameras again. So, so how expensive is this X70? I think you can find a used one for less than thousand dollars, but it's more than six hundred. So, so much money. I know. It's it's, Why a, is it so it's ridiculous. I just I really want. I was like I went down this whole road of like what fixed lens cameras has Fuji ever released and can I find a cheap one? Mm-hmm. How much is the XS70? Why hasn't Sony made another uh, A7 uh, whatever R? What's the name of that stupid camera? I don't know. The RX1R2. Oh. Why haven't they made a version 3 of that? Yeah. Why is Leica so expensive? Mm-hmm. What if I bought a ZV-E1? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but there's no pancake lenses for it that I can find. Maybe I should go back and look at the X70 again. <laughs> it's just, been, I've been going in circles this, sounds whole, like this whole week. Yeah. They, they need to release another X100. I mean, it just seems like... That can't. They either need to make more of the one they've got or release a new one. But I mean, that camera is so popular. You would think they would be just doing anything they could to produce more of them. Fuji rumors uh, dropped a rumor this week, twenty twenty four, early twenty twenty four, for the X one hundred. Oh, version six. That, I mean, that'd be interesting. I. That's not that long to wait. I really hope it has the forty megapixel sensor in it. You think it would? Man, I really want it to. I want that'd them to release. Expensive. I want them to release a new X70, like an X80 or something. Mm-hmm. Put the 26 megapixel sensor that's in the XS10 in that one, sell it for 800 bucks, and then release an X100X or whatever. Uh, and that one has the 40 megapixel yeah. sensor, has the crop modes in it, and like does all the things. And I think that would that would be I perfect. Mean, maybe they would because if they want to try to grab the low end of the market of people that want a Leica Q2 but don't want to pay for it, then having that higher megapixel count would help them do that. Yep. 
and I think the X, I think the X70 is an interesting product that isn't around anymore because it's even smaller and more pocketable. Yeah, I like that's. I want like I, like I shoot pictures with my phone, sure, but I want like APS-C or bigger, mm-hmm. like fixed lens camera that is pocket sized. Yeah, and it's such a weird small market that there just there isn't one now. Yeah, and so now I'm going to start looking for used X70s. Well, we'll see. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see if you buy one of those <laughs> X Trans One, X Trans Two. Yep, yep. It's a man. I, I should start collecting all the X Transes. Oh man, <laughs> even more hipster. Yep. Jeez. Okay. We can be done. We can be done. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't end on that Sony note. We had to end on a Fuji note instead. Yeah. I just. I have no reason for it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not sorry. <laughs> That's it for the show today. Thanks for joining us. And if you liked it, tell a friend so they can check it out too. You can find out more about the show at www.cameragearpodcast.com. And you can find us on Twitter at Camera Gear Pod. We'll be back with more next week.